Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31. Um, it reads, as Jesus started, let me read it from my Bible. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. In this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter said to him, verse 28, We have left everything to follow you. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, No one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields for me, and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've given to us. Thank you for gathering us in this building with this people, Lord God, that you've chosen to be a part of our church us to be part of this church as well. We thank you now, Lord God, for, uh, again, for the singers, the instrumentalists, Lord, for the time that they've put in, the sacrifice, Lord God, that they put aside in order for, uh, to prepare our hearts before we hear your message. And now, Lord God, may you please open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. Uh, may we be honest. May we be humble. May we receive your message for us. Remove anything and everything that is distracting us or will be hindering us from hearing you and receiving your message. Forgive us, Lord, for all of our sins. Help me, Father, speak through me and guide us tonight. May you be pleased with us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, um, in America, we often associate spiritual blessing with physical happiness. I, I'm saying America, but... I'm thinking Philippines is the same. When life becomes difficult through loss, divorce, depression, or grief, it can often make Christians either feel like their faith is a fraud or lead them to believe that God is the one who is a fraud. Now this four-week series, it, um, I'm hoping that it will empower us Christians, individuals, to cultivate a faith that will withstand the inevitable troubles of life. Because troubles in life will come, whether we like it or not. Amen? Now, have you asked the questions to yourself? Uh, first question. 
What is my faith built around? What are we to make of our faith when the world, our preconceived notions about God, begin to fail? And then when life becomes difficult, how does God factor into our spirituality? Now this is the focus of our series, Failing Faith. Um, so we just read somebody who's very familiar to us, right? The rich young ruler. Uh, entitled our message, Failing Faith. This is the week one. God must be everything. Um, now, in these verses here, the first point is, faith in God is not to get what we want. Now, there's a bong when he was a fourth grader. I remember the story about him and his brother. So Bong was a fourth grader and his brother was a sixth grader. And his, his brother, who was a sixth grader, was in, in crutches. And Bong's mom told him, help your brother with his cupcakes. It was his older brother's birthday. And he wanted to share the cu cupcakes to the school. But his brother couldn't carry it because he was in crutches. So Bong said, uh, yeah, I guess I can help my brother, but I'd rather not. So the mom goes, the mom figured, you know, this is a great teaching moment for this young kid. So the mom goes, Bong, what would Jesus do? Bong said, he will heal him so he can carry his own cupcakes. <laughs> I thought it was good. But, um, but you look at verse 17, 18, and 20. It says that right, Jesus challenged this man's belief system. Right? Because sometimes we believe God, we only believe God when we want something. We're only coming to God when we want something. And it's usually, if you don't give it to me, Lord, then I'm leaving. I'm done with this faith. I'm done following you. I'm done going to church. I'm done serving you. Right? But you look at the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus because he wanted something. He wanted something. Either he wanted an affirmation that, hey, yeah, you did everything good. You're, you're actually perfect. You can go to heaven. Maybe he wanted that pat on the back from Jesus. Or he wanted to make sure that because he was already checking all the boxes, right? Marking all the, crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's for his life. He wanted affirmation. But God said, you know, Jesus challenged this man's belief. In a sense that you could interpret Jesus' words in verse 18 like this. There is only one who is good, and that's God. Do you really believe I'm God? Or are you just saying that to flatter me into giving you the response you desire? Because if you look at verse 18, right? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. Right? Now this man believed that God, or faith, in addition to his good deeds, would be one piece of the puzzle to, to salvation. Right? Notice how he didn't call Jesus good in verse 20. He first called Jesus good in verse 18. Then he just called him teacher in verse 20. In other words, God became nothing more than a step closer to comfort. A way to gain more power, wealth, and health. He ceased to be God and Jesus became a tool. An instrument. This man built his faith, the rich young ruler built his faith around his success, his comfort, and good deeds. And it failed in the face of Jesus. 
You know, there's, there's, um, there's a Taylor Swift video. <laughs> I was looking for illustrations, but there's a Taylor Swift video with her song, Out of the Woods. Now, the, the vines begin to surround her as she slowly makes her way through a dark forest. As she sings of heartbreak and despair, she's haunted by both the forest and a series of wolves. The pack tears her dress, te- the pack, the wolf pack tears her dress, pursuing her to the top of the mountain in the middle of a snowstorm. The situation grows worse as Swift later struggles through a swamp, a desert, and a firestorm. Sounds like, uh, they said here, a day in Texas. When she finally reaches the beach again, she approaches her former self, gently touches her shoulder, and in the video ends with these words. She lost him, but she found herself. And somehow, that was everything. Now, Taylor Swift's video does provide an interesting window into the 21st century pop culture philosophy, which is, finding true peace means finding yourself. You alone hold the answer to meaning and purpose in this life. Now, tell that to somebody who's depressed. Right? Someone who's already hopeless. Somebody who has tried everything in her power and everything that that she thought that the world says, this is the one that's going to give you happiness. This is the thing that's going to give you peace. And then she comes in or he comes with nothing. Uh, She's found wanting. And then you tell them, oh, only you, only you can find true peace for yourself. Only you can provide happiness. What if they're not happy with themselves? What if it's them who's the problem? That philosophy crumbles, right? It crumbles. And it's usually, sadly, that's why the suicide rate is high. That's why divorces are high. That's why broken families are. That's why relationships don't work. Because we find, we think that through that person or through us or through this career or through this material thing that we obtain will be the answer to everything. But when, then we find out, no, it's not. It wasn't him. It wasn't her. It wasn't this career. Now, if we're not careful, our faith, our prayer life, can become less about serving our Creator and more about using God as a way to justify our success or to obtain success or feel secure in our own comfort. To just be protected, be healthy, be blessed, be happy. Somehow, we have to be very careful to not use God and our, and our faith in Him to be just about that. Often we use faith we use our prayer to obtain our definition of the quote-unquote, the good life. And everybody has their own interpretation of what a good life is. Rather than seeing the apex of life in ourselves, we must look to God. Amen? That's good. Maybe we can convince two, three people. We're okay. Second point. Everyone is broken. No, that's the first point. Can we go to the second point? Um, everyone's broken. There you go. Everyone's broken. Why do you call me good? Right? Why do you call me good? Verse 18 to 22. Now, Jesus' responses not only push the man in the story from Mark to consider his definition of God, but his definition of good. If you read those verses there. Notice how the man began his question by saying, What must I do? Now, 
the rich young ruler, he overestimated his goodness. Because what must I do? Because, you know, successful people over fear, when you hit your success, you think you know, right? You think you've arrived. And then it's quite easy and it's, it's a slippery slope when we attempt to do the same thing when it comes to God. When we, say, when we tell God, Lord, what must I do? When we think all of a sudden it's us, right? Is it really about us? So, number one, we know that we can never, it was never us about our salvation. It was God, right? But then when we start walking through our sanctification, we know that we have a certain responsibility. And what's our responsibility? It's to obey God, right? Because we love Him. Now, how do we obey God? Most of the time, it's about denying ourselves. Denying ourselves. Denying ourselves of even taking the credit that it was me. It was me who denied that girl what she wanted to do with me. Already I'm, I'm married and I, I turned her down. Praise God, I had self-control. Was it really you or was it God? So it's the same thing. When, when, the, when the rich young ruler said, what must I do? He overestimated his goodness. And the, and the, and the second part is, he underestimated his need for God. In this time period, many within Israel believed that God always granted wealth and success to the faithful. One example of this type we can find in John 9. And it's, it's this, remember in John 9, 9 to 3? As he went along, Jesus, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now when Jesus happens, upon, uh, happens to find upon um, a blind man, his disciples say, Rabbi, who sinned? Right? And it's the same thing with this rich individual in, in Mark. He was influenced by these ideas that he thinks... If he's faithful, he will have success. If he's obedient, he will have success. And then it's the same thing, right? Some of us, we still have that, that re the religious belief that if we will just follow God, God will give us success in return. And no trouble will come our way. Now, with obedience comes blessings, true. But we all know that it doesn't prevent trouble from coming to us. We will... We, most of us in this church, we were all faithful in coming to church. We didn't care about the, 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 the lockdown or whatever that they were tell, putting upon us. We were still serving God. And, but most of us still caught the virus. Right? Now that's not a question of, oh, I was obeying. How come I got punished? It's not punishment necessarily. Because remember, um, when Jesus saw the, the, the blind man, he said, he was born so that God will be glorified at this moment. Because his blindness being born, him being born blind, was the biggest testimony when God healed him and gave him his sight. Right? Again, we go back to Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Those who are called according to his purpose. The, the, the misfortune uh, events in our lives, God, most of the time, well, well, God always gives those things to glorify Him at the end. Amen? 
You know, it's, even if it's hard to swallow, if it's true, we have to take it. It's the same thing. I don't know what kind of medicine tastes great. I guess the, the ones for the kids, they taste like grape and strawberry, right? But the, the ones that work, they taste terrible. But even if it tastes ter terrible, we have to take it. Correct? It's the same thing with the Word of God. Even if it doesn't fit our preference, if it's true, we have to say, my God knows better. And my God loves me. And I can trust Him. Now, uh, I'm on verse 21 here. Verse 21, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, He said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And this, the, at this the man's face fell and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, rather than, than signifying his righteousness, however, his wealth only showed how far he was from his goal. No matter how good we think we are, we are all broken and need God's grace. What the rich young ruler thought that he had that was going to bring him closer to God, which is all the wealth that he accumulated because of all the success he got, was actually the same thing that prevented him from being with the Lord. Sometimes what we think is a blessing is the thing or are the ones that takes us far away from God. For example, we pray in the prayer meetings, right? We pray for a job. We say, Lord, can you guys please help me pray that I get a job? We pray that you get a job. You get a job. And then you, for some reason, that job that you prayed for is the one that took you away from coming to church, from serving Him, right? All of a sudden, the overtimes become, became more attractive. All of a sudden, the other things became more attractive. We pray for our relationship. Can you guys help me pray? Because I've been lonely for many years. Can you please help, help me pray for a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or a wife, right? And then you get that relationship. And then that same relationship, that individual that you prayed for is the one that take, took you away from being intimate with the Lord. We pray for success for our business, for our careers. And then it, it happens. And then that same thing that we prayed for is the exact same thing that took us far away from God. Now in a remarkable New York Times piece titled Death, the Prosperity Gospel in Me, a Duke Divinity School professor named Kate Bowler, or Bowler discusses her experience with Kenyon's legacy and her own struggle to understand the blessed life. This, this idea took skin for Bowler after she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. In this article, she also explores why suffering is so difficult under the prosperity gospel regime. We can't talk about death because we have to speak healing over our life. If we don't, it won't happen. Under prosperity gospel teaching, what you think is what you experience. That's what they say, right? Now, it's very similar to the secret, the non-religious version of prosperity preaching. You say it, you manifest it, and then the universe will give it to you. I am beautiful, you say, right? I am healthy. 
I am wealthy. Right? It will attract whatever you say. It's the same thing with prosperity preaching, uh, uh, gospel. Name it, you claim it, and then you believe it. And then there's the new book that is the same line. I declare. You basically tell God what to do. I declare with my faith, with that southern accent, I think it works better if you have it, you know, and, and for you to get it. But we know that we can't. We cannot force God's hand. The prosperity gospel has taken a religion based on the contemplation of a dying man and stripped, and stripped it of its, of its call to surrender all. Perhaps worse, it has replaced Christian faith with the most painful forms of certainty. The movement has perfected a rarefied form of America's addiction to self-rule, which denies much of our humanity. Our fragile bodies, our finitude, our need to stare down our, at our deaths at least once in a while and be filled with the dread and wonder. At some point, we must say to ourselves, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to need to let go. The oft-used saying, let go and let God, takes on a new meaning in Boulder's life. Letting go doesn't mean believing everything in this life will turn out all right. And it doesn't mean not working hard to, be, to better our situation. It means trusting God even when pain becomes unbearable. It means yielding control of your life, not to the power of your mind, but to your Father's power above. Do you guys agree? When we say, let go and let God... We have to be ready to accept both. The thing that we're asking for, let's say it's healing, or the other thing that we're dreading, that the worst could happen. I could get sick and I could die. From time to time, it is good that we look at our, that we can all, that we will die one, way, one, in one time. We just don't know when and we just don't know how. But we have to always look into those things that the other aspect of our prayer might not be answered the way we want it to be answered. And you know what? It should be okay. Because God is good, God loves us, and we will be with Him no matter what. A Christian should be like that. That's how a Christian should be. Trusting in his God or her God and then letting go of the rest. While many of us would decry the prosperity gospel, we are often influenced by this thinking more than we realize. It's easy to believe that God's primary goal is our comfort. It's just as easy to believe we earn this with our good behavior. Yet when we have to prove ourselves, we quickly fall into comparison and competition. When we cease comparing ourselves to others and instead compare ourselves to Christ. I'm going to repeat that. Because it's easy. You know, we love to compare ourselves to the people that we know is, is less than us. They're less than us. We know they're, they're less consistent. They're, they're less in love with the Lord. They're not that, that much. They don't serve that much. We're quick to compare ourselves to those people. 
We have to compare ourselves to Christ. When we compare, when we begin to compare ourselves to Christ, we begin to accept our brokenness and admit our need for Him. That's when you will appreciate His grace, His love, and His mercy. Now, third point. Receiving grace depends on our response to Jesus. Look at verse 21 uh, and 21 first. Uh, Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now Jesus speaks a hard truth to this man, but he does so because, what did, he, what did the Bible say? Jesus loved him. He tells him to sell everything he has and follow him. Notice what his command in verse 21 implies. Number one, he must get rid of all things he thought were, quote-unquote, proof of his goodness. The reason why he had that, because again, their belief in the days, back in the, in the biblical times, is if you are blessed, you are good. And if you are good, you will be blessed. So Jesus said, let go of those things that you thought were your proof of your goodness. And give them to the people he believed were undeserving. Because the poor people were not loved by God and they were disobedient. That's why they're not blessed. So God is saying, Jesus said, let go of your proof and give it to the people that you think are undeserving of it. And number two, he must offer his complete and ultimate loyalty to Jesus. Now, do you think it's different in our time? Do you think it's different? Accept Jesus as your Lord one Sunday back in 2010 and then live your life for yourself until you, got, you die. And then enjoy your fellowship with the Lord when you're in heaven. Is, is it different? No. Christianity is about denying ourselves, our right to ourselves. It is my right to sleep on a Wednesday afternoon after a long hard work. So no more Wednesday service. It is my right. My money that I made is my, is my money. The church has no right to this. God has no right to this. I was the one who worked for this. My, my, my relationship with my family, that's my right. God gave me them and I'm going to treasure them. So if God is saying to serve Him and I'm not going to have time with them, then that's wrong. I'm not going to serve God if it's going to take me away from my loved ones. Is that really the interpretation of, of the Bible? I'm not going to go to the mission trip because it's dangerous. It's going to put my life on the line. I'm not going to go to church because there's an outbreak. Might as well not drive too because there's a big chance that you can get into an accident. But is that, is that what God is saying? Where in the Bible, Christian, do you find that? Now, Jesus told him, you have to do, do these things. And then what did the man do? He walked away. He walked away dejected. This man lacked trust. He wanted a financial safety net versus relying like Jesus did on the believing community to provide for his needs. He loved money, power, comfort, and stability more than he loved God. That's what the rich young ruler ultimately is or was. And it serves as an example for us. Now, to accept grace, we confess that it is all that we need, right? 
We must completely and wholeheartedly follow after Jesus Christ. When you prayed to receive Jesus as your Lord, you expressed your loyalty to Him and you took out everything else that is holding you back and that will be holding you back for being loyal to Him. Matthew Matthew 13, 44-45 The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Verse 45 Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Do you find Jesus and your relationship with Him like this? Or Jesus, or is Jesus just another supplement in your medicine cabinet? Is your relationship with God your main dish in your life? Or is He just a vitamin C tablet? Or a multivitamin that has everything? I'll take it if I remember, when I remember. Or is God everything? For you because if he is everything you will let go i use these verses because this is what god told the rich young ruler give everything you have and then follow me these people in this parable they saw something more important more of, of something that's more valuable than what they have is god more valuable to you than what you have if your answer is no then you don't know god just yet the God of the Bible, the real God. To praise and worship, to treat God any other way, guys, church, loved ones, is wrong. To treat and to worship and to praise God any other way is wrong. What do I mean? If you just praise God half-hearted, you're praising Him wrong. If God is not your everything, you're worshiping Him wrong. You have to worship Him wholeheartedly, completely and utterly. Any other way is wrong. God must be our everything. For He gave us everything, including coming down from heaven to become a man, only for Him to suffer a death on the cross. Now, um, in Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal Son, or The Prodigal God, uh, Tim Keller relays a conversation he had with a young woman about grace. The woman had grown up in a church that taught God only accepts those who live good and ethical lives. Upon hearing Keller teach about grace, the, that God's gift of salvation is completely free, even to those who are immoral, the woman expressed fear. Keller asked her, about it her reply was telling and this is what the, the woman said if i was saved by my good works then there would be a limit to what god could ask of me or to put me through i would be like a taxpayer with rights i would have done my duty and now i would deserve a certain quality of life but if it is really true that i am a sinner saved by sheer grace at God's infinite cost, then there's nothing He cannot ask of me. 
This woman understood what it is. Sadly, some of us don't truly understand the real cost of accepting Jesus as our Lord. And it's telling in our lives. Ah, you know, we worship God half, you know, halfway. I'll give him a little bit, you know, half of my half of my time, half of my day, five minutes of my prayer life, two minutes of my Bible reading, when I if I remember, or when I need something. Right? Oh, what is what is God asking of me? My time, my time, my time away from my loved one? Ah, can't do that. Right? Luke 14, 26-27 If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Now, what keeps us from completely and wholeheartedly accepting God's free gift of grace? Is it money? Is it power or influence? Is it comfort? Is it control? Is it health? Is it stability? God's grace is endless. We see that in Jesus' finished work on the cross. It's endless, right? It's finished. In regards to our salvation, our eternal life, it's secured secured the only thing that god is asking from us is with our finite life is to live for him god's grace is endless and we have to follow him amen now this text teaches us a number of important truths regarding what it means to follow christ it is a relief to know that we don't have to keep trying to earn God's love because He secured it. His grace catches us when we fail. Amen? You know, when you fail, because I failed, I failed. And the, the, the verse that, that comes alive is this. In your weakness, I am strong. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. When you feel unworthy, God's grace is sufficient for you. When you feel lost, God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace will never run out. If you think His grace will run out, it's just like saying, Oh, I'm going to stop breathing for five minutes so that the, the oxygen in, on earth will not be wasted. Because it's not enough, right? No. It's, it's enough. It's, it's just like saying, the fish will be saying, oh, I'm not going to drink so much water in the ocean because the water might run out. That's like, wait, this is the same thing when you're saying, oh, I don't think God loves me anymore. I did the worst thing today. And, and again, over and over again. No, God's grace is sufficient for you. His grace catches us when we fall. At the same time, we must give our entire selves to Him. Any faith we have in ourselves must fail. I'm going to repeat that and I hope you hear it. Any faith we have in ourselves must fail and we must place our faith completely in Christ. Amen? That's our, close, that's our message tonight. Please, thank you for your patience. Let's close in prayer. Uh, praise and worship team, if you can make your way up here. Father, we thank you for your message for us tonight. 
We thank you for your prayer warriors that are here this evening. I pray, Lord God, that uh, you continue to protect and bless them and guide them, Lord. And I pray that as we say our prayers in our groups, we're praying it to bless each other. We're praying it because we want to speak to you. We're praying. We're praying because we're admitting that we cannot do anything apart from you. And Father, we, we ask for your protection from uh, COVID or any other harm or danger that the enemy has planned for us. I pray for our, our, our other brothers and sisters who did not make it this evening. I pray that they are, are safe and healthy. Um, we pray for our church, Lord, FICF, your church. We pray that you continue to work through us and in us. And we pray, Father, that we are glorifying you and pleasing you in everything that we do. We pray for this message that you've spoken to us. May, may we retain the message and everything else that you want us to remember and to live out in our hearts and our minds. All these things we ask in your sweet and mighty name, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.